0: CEC report for the 31st of May 2019. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Robbie Barwick, CEC Research Director. Welcome Robbie. Thanks Elisa. And on today's show we have Fight to Dismantle the Debt Bubble Before It Devours You and Alexander Downer. I spy with my five eyes. So firstly today, Fight to Dismantle the Debt Bubble Before It Devours You. So what we want to talk about today is, as we've talked about before, we have a global debt bubble that the world is facing. And if we don't dismantle it in an orderly way, two things will happen. One, more and more people are going to get sucked into it and be beholden to it and destroyed by it in the interim. And secondly, when it does burst, it's going to bring the whole system down with it.
1: And Elisa, right now, our government and regulators are shoveling Australians into this.
0: That's right, and that's the point we want to get to today because, of course, Since just prior to the election, um, that's exactly what they've been doing. It started with the uh, Morrison government (coughs) announcing at their campaign launch just before the election and it was backed up by Labor, the 5% home buyer's deposit scheme, where you've only got to put up 5% to borrow a home. Uh, The scrapping of the 7% interest rate mortgage assessment, where people have to be shown by the bank that they can afford to keep paying the mortgage at a 7% interest rate. That was then scrapped. Uh, You have the forecast that the Reserve Bank will increase interest rates two to three times.
1: Decrease, cut interest rates. Uh,
0: Cut interest rates three to four times. Uh, You've had also, as we've discussed thoroughly on the show, the Liberal-Labour collusion to kill our inquiry into Glass-Steagall and the effort to bury... The implications and the importance of the findings of the Banking Royal Commission, which intersects the fact that the Labor Party neglected to campaign whatsoever on holding the banks actually accountable to their crimes. Yep. Um,
1: uh, Bill Shorten had a crack yesterday at the uh, the, the the corporate um, whatever he named behemoths etc. That sabotaged his election. Mm. But he didn't campaign against them. No. So, no exactly. point crying afterwards, Bill.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, now, JP Morgan Australia's chief economist, Sally Old, has actually gone further on the interest rate question, which we'll take up. Um, because on the 29th of May, she stated that the Reserve Bank will lower cash rates to a record low of 0.5% within the next year and that they will remain there for some time. Uh, So they're 1.5% now. She's saying there will be at least four cuts and that this will be due to a combination of global headwinds and the structural headwinds facing the domestic economy. So talking about things like problems with mortgage lending, household debt, low income growth, etc. Now, what would be the implications of such low interest rates?
1: Well, at least she's, in in what Sally Old said, she put these interest rate cuts in the proper context because most of the way the media is reporting the interest rate cuts, the most of the, what the government has said about them is oh look isn't this great you're going to have cheaper money relief for mortgage stress and of course if you're a borrower you're not you're not going to complain about the, more, the interest rate cut <laughs> but the whole purpose from the policymakers standpoint is this is the implication to increase the debt that's drowning Australia. We're drowning in debt We have the second highest household debt to GDP in the world. Our total private debt is over 200% of gross domestic product, right? Total private debt. We've never had higher private debt in Australia's history. We didn't have it in the Great Depression. We didn't have it in the 1890s depression. This is what we've got now. And all they can think to do Mm. with with, with house prices coming down, the implications that's going to have for the banks is, out of desperation, what can we do? Don't solve it, create more debt, fuel it. Mm right this is insanity
0: and i mean she mentioned the fact that you have global headwinds so i want to give a bit of an update on that situation because it's a bit of a toss up right now whether the <laughs> situation in australia yeah. triggers the whole global system to go which it could or whether some global event and it could be any number of things blows the entire system of which australia is a part um, so as I said there's a number of things and bearing in mind also that major financial bodies and authorities like the IMF and the OECD and the Bank for International Settlements have all been warning numerous times and in various ways with different factors involved of a new crisis coming. So that's pretty much accepted. Uh, one of the potential triggers is, could be Deutsche Bank. Um, the major uh, German bank which used to be the biggest industrial bank in the world but which was taken over to become a major facet of the City of London banking, global banking sector. Uh, Now Deutsche Bank's shares have plummeted over 40% or nearly 40% I should say in the past year and are at record lows. They're around the US $7 mark at the moment. Uh, one financial expert, Charles Nenner, has warned that if they go to $6.40 US, then he said the downside price target is zero. Everybody is going to run for the exits. And he said it'll be a very dangerous situation. Quote, if they have to close their derivatives, who knows which bank is going to lose how much. It's going to be a big problem. And we'll put up a graphic, which is from an IMF report in 2016, Uh, which shows the interconnectedness of Deutsche Bank to all the world's biggest banks. And in that 2016 IMF report, uh, the IMF said that Deutsche Bank is the most important net contributor to systemic risks, which i.e. could threaten the entire system in the world. Um, So Deutsche Bank is the most interconnected bank. Its derivatives are as great as any of the biggest US banks like Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, etc., They are 20 times the volume of derivatives held by Lehman Brothers in 2008. So when people say it could be a Lehman style trigger, well yes, but it would be much, much worse. Its leverage ratio is the lowest of all globally systemic banks Um, and to quote one authoritative source, Daisuke Kotagawa, who was a former uh, finance ministry official in Japan, uh, in 2016, he said if Deutsche Bank would collapse without any control, that would have, I think, a tremendous contagion effect on other major banks in Europe. And he said that about 10 to 15 major banks in Europe would become insolvent and disappear. Well,
1: Lisa, the reason that we've we, we got quotes here from 2016 and the IMF graphic is from 2016 is because this bank has been on death watch for a long time. But it's also, and, and, the, and so. That it was worry then doesn't mean that, oh, they've always worried about it, there's nothing there. Now, what, what Deutsche Bank proves, it's, it, what that one bank proves nothing's been solved in the global financial situation. Nothing. It's just that happens to be the real centre of the derivatives tinderbox that can blow up the whole financial system. And if you, you said that its, it's uh, share price has fallen 40% in the last year to down to below $7 now. Understand that this bank in two thousand and seven, its share price was a hundred and seven dollars, mm. right? So that's just that's how sick this bank has become, and it's a real threat.
0: Now here's another headline from uh, CNBC: Morgan Stanley says economy is on recession recession watch as bond markets flashes warning, and they're talking about uh, the conflagration of trade tensions and a U.S. slump in economic activity. Uh, putting the economic growth at risk, which is already rather low. Um, They've lowered GDP forecasts. And as the article says, numerous leading companies may be starting to throw in the towel on the second half rebound, something we have been expecting, but we believe many investors are not. Um, So there's various problems in the US that are going to come to the fore. Another warning comes from the Bank of England in the UK, uh, this is an unofficial blog, but which reports from Bank of England people called Bank Underground. And it says that corporate bonds are a big issue, and they have been for some time. There's been official Bank of England um, warnings about them. But the category rated triple B, which is the lowest investment grade, so it's above the junk level, has ballooned by four times the amount it was in 2008. Uh, This, says the blog, has materially increased potential financial stability risks and the risks grow much higher if those bonds are downgraded to junk bond status because many funds are forced to sell. They aren't actually allowed by their own laws to keep them on the books and by certain EU laws. Now, the Bank of England uh, blog warned of a scenario potentially causing market dysfunction, disorderly price moves, and losses for investors in the high yield segment of the corporate bond market.
1: And this corporate bond stuff—this is where all the debt that's flooded the world since the GFC in two thousand and eight—in the form of quantitative easing. This is where it's gone in this mm. corporate bond sector, right? There's been a massive boom in these bonds, but they never made the—the the, the companies are called zombie companies. They were never um, viable anyway having all this cheap money kept them going for a while, but now we're seeing that they can't repay it, this extra debt they've taken on, they can't repay it. And as the, you're right, as the, as the ratings get cut, then everyone's going to head for the hills and it's just going to be on for young and old.
0: And on top of the, the corporate debt itself is another bubble of securitization of bundling up and selling and reselling, as was happening in the 2008 global financial crisis. Which
1: they called the securitization of mortgages collateralized debt obligations, And they decide to get clever with these corporate Mm. bonds. They call them collateralised loan obligations.
0: And I wanted to bring that up because one of the banks in the UK which uh, has been doing this is Metro Bank. Um, There were runs on deposits. So depositors were queuing up outside the bank on the weekend of the 11th to 12th of May. And it I mean this was supposedly sparked by rumours on the messaging system WhatsApp but it was put down to the fact that they'd had an accounting error which had left them short of the capital that they are meant to hold on their balance sheet and their shares therefore since that was exposed in January were down by 60% Well, the Monday after the runs on the bank were down another 9% and it had been compared to Northern Rock which was the first British bank to go in 2007 as part of the global financial crisis. Um, But one of the things that it's been doing, um, the Bank of England had created this term lending facility to try to encourage more funds to go into actual commercial lending and this bank recently admitted that it was investing it into mortgage-backed securities, so the securitisation process that led to the GFC. Why? Because we make money doing that as opposed to the other forms of lending. So that's
1: what's got him in trouble. And if Glass-Steagall was in place, Elisa, they wouldn't be allowed to do that. Mm. And therefore, they'd be boring and not in trouble.
0: And speaking of Glass-Steagall, we're going to take a quick break and be right back to discuss those solutions. Welcome back to the CEC Report where we're discussing how to dismantle this enormous debt bubble before it devours all of us in its wake. Uh, So Glass-Steagall is one of the solutions we want to talk about. We've got a a whole suite of various legislation that we've drawn up uh, which is necessary preemptively ahead of the crisis to deal with this situation but just talking about Glass-Steagall first. uh, Now our bill for Glass-Steagall which has been in the Senate since February put up by Senator Pauline Hanson went to a Senate Economics Legislation Committee which recommended against adopting it and the head of that committee, the key um, facilitator for the banks that staved off Glass-Steagall at this point it was Senator Jane Hume. Now she's just been promoted after the election as the new Assistant Minister for Superannuation Financial Services and Financial Technology and I want to say that the Australian Financial Review reported that there was quote private gratitude among finance executives to have a former finance executive in the role after years of bank Bashing.
1: No kidding. They, they <laughs> love her. We call her the senator for bankers.
0: That's right. And she was a banker, of course, at National Australia Bank, Deutsche Bank, Rothschild, and she worked at Australian Super as well. And she will assist fellow ex-Deutsche Banker um, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg in implementing the government's response to the Banking Royal Commission. And to the productivity commission's superannuation report. So
1: they rigged. They rigged the terms of reference for the royal commission. The royal commission did some useful work, nonetheless. But the rigged terms of reference meant the final report was pathetic. And if that's not enough, they've got two Deutsche Bank bankers in there, in, in Friedenberg and, and uh, now Hume, to make sure that the banks get get that punishment exactly the way they want it right? Probably in a, in a dungeon somewhere with leather whips and chains and things. You can imagine the way bankers think. But isn't it funny, Elisa, that the two senior people in charge of this in the government are both from the bank, the sickest bank in the world. Yeah, that we just spoke they should about. Be, they should be run out of town. I mean, <laughs> what, they worked at a bank. There's now a basket case. It's on death. watch. it's going to bring down the whole global financial system and they're in charge of our okay. economy? God help us.
0: Absolutely. Now one of the people that's speaking out about this in America, because this is business as usual, keep propping up the banks, is Sheila Baer and she's, she was the head of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation in the US during the crash. And so she worked with Ben Bernanke and the other, you know, officiados that propped up the global system. They ran the bailout and she just came out saying, look, they're planning new bailouts, they've made this, you know, the way it is done, the business as usual but our democracy will not survive this. Last time it created enough economic displacement and it's going to get worse. So she said, it's wrong-headed to make serial bailouts the new normal. If the financial sector is really that unstable, we should just break up the big banks now, my preference, or nationalize them. Now another prominent figure who is calling for Glass-Steagall uh, not so quite so explicitly in this video but this is worth showing is Nomi Prinz, who's a former senior banker at Goldman Sachs and Lehman Brothers and here she is in this video in London talking about what's about to come
2: some of the biggest banks in the world, including for Lehman Brothers, which, as we know, disappeared in the financial crisis of 2008. I understand that you're all worried about Brexit, but there is a larger financial crisis looming around the corner, because you may have thought that the global banking system has been reformed, but it hasn't been. tackle it we're gonna sink into an epic credit crisis and it's one that's gonna hurt the poorest people even harder than last time and after the financial crisis governments allowed central bankers to effectively print money which they did to the tune of 21 trillion dollars worth of subsidies great socialism for the banks bridging the economic gap, that money went into their bubble, and banks used it for speculation and manipulation. Lending to ordinary firms and households has barely grown. Neither have wages or prosperity for most of the world's population. Just think about it. If the massive plans for infrastructure, spending and development had actually transpired into reality, the fate of companies like British Steel could have been dramatically different. And so the combination of quantitative easing and low interest rates has led to growing inequality. Public debt and private debt have increased massively to new records since the financial crisis. There is a huge imbalance, and that bubble could pop at any time. Of course, banks will use difficult situations like Brexit to argue for less regulation and more wiggle room, no matter what politicians settle on. But make no mistake, they need to be anchored with strong global reforms and more regulations because otherwise we're all in for some extremely deep water.
1: Alisa, well, that's a very important clip because that was ahead of an interview she did on the BBC with the, the great Andrew Neil, which, who proved he was an ignoramus when it comes to the uh, economy, because he couldn't understand why it means there is going to be a crash. But the, the, the essential point, Naomi is a huge champion of Glass League because she, like Sheila Bear, says, knows if they had have done that after the crash, Right? We wouldn't be dealing with this problem now. You would have got the speculation and the debt attached with it out of the system.
0: Mm, that's right. And she raises, uh, Nomi raises British Steel as an example, which was taken over by a private equity firm for a pound and run down into the ground. Um, instead, all the jobs are now threatened. That's right. 5,000 jobs, 20,000 indirectly are threatened now, which is a very big issue. Instead, if we had responded in the way we've suggested, by breaking up the banks and by putting new investment into the real economy, it would have been very much different. And you can read more about the story of British Steel and Deutsche Bank and other related issues if you call in for a copy of our alert service. Take a quick break. Be right after this. Welcome back to the CEC report. Now we're discussing Alexander Downer, I spy with my five eyes. So we're talking of course about the five eyes spying alliance between the US, UK, Canada, Australia and New Zealand here and Downer's role within that and this is raised because on the 24th of May um, Donald Trump announced that he declassified all the information to do with the so-called Russiagate scandal of collusion between the US and Russia. Uh, and he hopes that US Attorney-General William uh, Barr will look at everything, including the role of the UK and of Australia. And this is where Downer comes in. So what is Downer's role in this?
1: Well, so Downer is a guy who is the former foreign minister, longest-standing foreign minister, but as the foreign minister, he was the the head of ASIS, which is our version of MI6. And then he went to become the the High Commissioner in London. While he was there, he had this curious um, drinks meeting in 2016 with a Trump campaign advisor, this George Papadopoulos, and they both have different accounts of what happened, but it was Downer's report from that meeting that was used as the basis, it was given back to Australian intelligence, passed on to US intelligence, and that became the basis of the wiretaps, which, which were called Pfizer F- F- warrants, along with the steel dossier written by an XMI6 guy to start inspiring, spying into Trump. Dana claims that um, he wasn't acting as a spy. Papadopoulos says he was. But I want you to watch this interview Dana did with Andrew Bolt the other day. And he actually contradicts himself because on the one hand he says, oh, in that role I wouldn't do it. But then look how he describes himself immediately afterwards as effectively part of the Five Eyes spy network.
3: Mm. Did the FBI or anyone working for the FBI or our own intelligence service, anyone uh, connected with an intelligence service, ask you to meet... Uh, Papadopoulos? Of course not. Um, Somebody who is a former foreign minister and the Australian High Commissioner or or ambassador in London is hardly going to be somebody who is used by intelligence services to collect information. That would never happen. That isn't. That simply isn't how those kind of operations work. So um, the whole, the whole thing is. Anybody who knows anything about government knows the whole thing is completely absurd. But uh, your memo to the Department of Foreign Affairs, of course, did help uh, take, have that whole FBI investigation into whether there was a collusion with, uh, between Trump and Russia. Looking back now, um, do you believe that there was such a collusion uh, to, with Russia to no. leak, say, Hillary Clinton's stolen emails? No. Um, there was no suggestion from Papadopoulos, nor in the record of the... Um, of the meeting that we sent back to Canberra, there was no suggestion um, that there was collusion between Donald Trump or Donald Trump's campaign and the Russians. All we did was report what Papadopoulos said, um, and that was that he thought uh, the Russians may um, release information, might release information, that could be damaging to Hillary Clinton's campaign campaign at some stage before the election. Now, he didn't have to tell me that. I didn't go to the meeting thinking he was going to even mention Russia in a a context like the election campaign. Um, I had no idea what he would say. He chose to say that to me, um, and he he apparently says he said it also to the Greek foreign minister a week or two later. I have no idea why he was blabbering this, but Mm. if you say that sort of thing to somebody who is um, part of the um, Five Eyes intelligence community, I mean, I would regard myself as a warrior for the Western alliance. Um, If it had drawn to my attention that the Russians uh, might be hacking into the campaigns of major candidates in Western elections and then using that information to try to influence the outcome of those elections, that would really worry me. I mean... Russia is not a friendly power when it comes to Western interests and if they're hacking into our elections, um, that's something we should try to stop. I don't know why he told me this, but he did and we reported it um, and the rest is history. But there's no, there's no defence for him saying it's some sort of weird conspiracy. I mean, it's what he told me.
0: Now we've documented in the past that Downer is actually deeply embedded in MI6 and British intelligence networks and um, networks of private intelligence layers that former MI5 operatives are involved in. And you can read more about it in the latest Australian Alert Service and a previous article we've written. And it is all aimed at sabotaging US-Russia cooperation, which will be very effective for the world. So that's all we've got time for. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for tuning in.